If you would, take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Your Bible should fall open to that particular chapter right now. If you drop it on the floor, it'll just open up automatically to 1 John 4. As we are working our way verse by verse through this powerful little book of the New Testament. And we have been taking extra time walking through this last section of chapter 4 as we are considering the love of God. As you are turning to 1 John 4, listen to how the Holy Spirit through the pen of the Apostle Paul describes what you and I are trying to comprehend. Ephesians chapter 3 beginning in verse 14 says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that He would give you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being firmly rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. What we are attempting to learn and understand is indeed impossible to do in its fullness on this side of eternity. The love of God is indeed too broad, too long, too high, and too deep for you and I to possibly grasp in its fullness. I'll fail to preach it correctly. You will fail to hear it and understand it properly. But we will try. God's love for His church is that agape love that we've talked so much about. The self-sacrificing love, the love that gives for no other reason than this. God simply chose to love. As Christians, we get a very small glimpse of the incomprehensible love of God. We see it in the beauty of creation. We see it in His Word. We see it in the removal of guilt as our sins are forgiven through Christ. And we see God's love in the love of His, of His church. So we continue with that thought this morning as we're going to ask ourselves the question, what do people see in you? Look with me at 1 John chapter 4. I'm only going to read verses 12 through 16. 12 through 16, hear now the word of the true and living God. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in Him and He in us, because He hath given us His Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in Him and He in God. And we have known And believe that the love that God hath to us, God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we have indeed read your precious holy word. Father, it is our, our greatest desire that we pray that you would open our eyes to its meaning that you would give us fresh eyes to see what it is that you have here for us, that you would give us spiritual ears to hear and to understand 
through the power of the Holy Spirit to help us to comprehend the Word of God. And Lord, by the power of God the Holy Spirit, give us wills to apply. Draw us all, Lord God, to that closer walk with Christ. For it is in Christ's name we do pray and ask all things. Amen. Let's dive right into the passage. I want to draw out two headings, two points from this passage that we try to answer the question, what do people see in us? First, I want us to look at what we show. Then secondly, I want us to look at what we know. Point number one, verses 12 and 15, what we show. Look what it says at the beginning of verse 12. No man hath seen God at any time. No man has seen God at any time. I want to give you some cross references. First Timothy chapter six, verse 15, which says he will bring about the, at the proper time. He who is blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see. First Timothy chapter one, verse 17 says now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. John 4, 24 says this is the Lord Jesus himself. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And then the, the story of God and his, 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 uh, conversation, his dealing with his servant Moses in Exodus 33 verse 20. God said, but you cannot see my face for no man can see my face and live. No human being since the fall of Adam has seen God in his full glory. Adam was the last man to see God and live. And there are two reasons why we cannot see God. I've already said one, God is spirit. He is immaterial. He does not have a physical body as you and I do. That is why the Apostle Paul said of Christ in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, that Christ is the image of the invisible God. Jesus Christ is the invisible God veiled in human flesh. Right now, some of you that know your Bible are probably recalling passages in the Old Testament where people had face-to-face conversations with God and they lived. Like Genesis chapter 18. We've been talking about Genesis a lot on Wednesday nights. Abraham had a conversation with the Lord prior to the Lord's judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah. And he lived. Jacob wrestled God all night in Genesis chapter 32. And and Jacob says in Genesis 32 verse 30, says, so Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been delivered. Then there's another one. There's Isaiah chapter 6. Very familiar with that. I quote it a lot. I quote Isaiah 6 to you a lot. It was when Isaiah has his heavenly vision. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1 says that in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. And with twain he covered his feet. And with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house filled with smoke. Then said, what, then said I, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, 
For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. How is this possible? How was Isaiah able to see God and live? How was Abraham able to see God and live? How was Jacob able to wrestle God and live? We're told in John chapter 12, verse 41. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and he spoke about him. It was because it was the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who they all saw. Yes, the Lord Jesus Christ made pre-incarnate, pre-birth appearances in the Old Testament. Remember what Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 says, he is the image of the invisible God. So if you were to ask Isaiah, Isaiah, who did you see? He's going to say, I saw Yahweh. If you were to ask the apostle John, John, who did Isaiah see? John's going to say, Isaiah saw Jesus. So the only way that man could see the Lord is if the Lord was veiled. No man can see God and live. Moses desired to see God, but God would not let him see him because the holiness of God, the glory of God would have consumed him completely. But God has allowed man to see his glory only in veiled form in order for God to accomplish a particular task, most notable in the sending of Christ, who is the image of the invisible God. He came to die upon the cross for the salvation of the world. So the first reason, so when it says that no man has seen God at any time, it truly no one has seen God in the fullness that he truly is, in the truly, in the holiness, in the glory that he truly is, because no man can see God in this fleshly body and live. That's why when we get to heaven, we're going to need that glorified body with those glorified eyes, with the glorified everything in order to withstand the glory of God. So now, the first reason why we cannot see God is because He is spirit. The other reason why we cannot see God is sin. Sin separates mankind from God. Sin separates you and I from God. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they were immediately separated from God. And because of their original sin and the impact that the curse has had on all of creation, you and I are not able to physically see God right now. But one day, one day, because he lives, one day, glory to God, for those of us who have trusted Christ as Savior, the greatest reward that you and I will have won't be the beauty of heaven. The greatest reward that you and I have won't be being reunited with all of those precious loved ones that have gone on before us. The, glory, the greatest reward in all of eternity won't be meeting other people that we've read about in Scripture. The greatest reward for the redeemed of God is recorded for us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, where it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That will be the greatest blessing, the greatest treasure, the greatest honor for all of eternity is to be able to behold God as He is, to see God face to face, to know God better than we ever could this side of eternity. For now, sin cuts us off. 
It cuts us off from seeing Him in His fullness on this side of eternity. It, it will cut us off from His blessings. Sin keeps the world from seeing God. Sin keeps people from acknowledging the existence of God. You know, we get so used to seeing the stuff that we see around here, but all it will take is just one trip to the beach, one trip to the Blue Ridge Parkway where you see God's handiwork in creation. And sin causes people to deny God and believe the lie known as evolution. That everything came from nothing. That there is no rhyme nor reason to anything or anyone. And sin keeps people from understanding the gospel. Sin keeps people from, from seeing God in the gospel. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Just think about the ridiculous stuff that people believe today. That makes absolutely no sense. It is ludicrous that no other people in our lifetime would ever even bat an eye at and acknowledge people are trying to pass off as truth, as wisdom, and as good. Our world calls evil good and good evil. Men do, men and women do whatever they think is right in their own eyes. They have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They would rather believe a, a lie than be exposed to the truth. They are blinded by the world. They are blinded by their own flesh. They are blinded by the devil. They are blinded by sin and they cannot see God. They call what they believe and follow wisdom and truth and reject God and His real wisdom and His real truth and call it foolishness. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. For it says, The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. It's folly to the world. It is folly to the world. It makes no sense to them. They cannot see any sense in it. They cannot understand it. They cannot comprehend it. For the preaching of the cross is foolishness to them that are perishing. Oh, but unto us that believe. But unto us that believe. But unto us that have had our eyes spiritually open. What is the preaching of the cross? The power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. God will take the folly and the foolishness of one man, one perfect man, the Son of God, God the Son, coming to earth, living perfectly. That's foolishness. Can't nobody live perfectly. Jesus did. One man, the God-man, suffering vicariously, horribly on the cross for, for the salvation of all those that will trust in him. How can one man suffering for a little while on a cross pay the sin debt of everyone who's going to be in heaven because of the value of the one that died? 
You cannot weigh him out. You put all of creation on one side of the scale. And you put all, every man, every woman, every child, every tree, every mountain, every ocean, everything. You put it all on one side. And you put Jesus on the other. And he outweighs them all. He outweighs them all. But to the world, that's foolishness. They cannot see it. They cannot understand it. They cannot understand. They cannot comprehend God. But God says that it pleases Him. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Therefore the world... No, uh, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. They can't see him. They cannot see him. They cannot see what is right in front of their faces in creation. They cannot see the fact that the reason they have any shred of morality is because they have God's thumbprint on their conscience because they've been created in his image, but they can't see it. No man has seen God at any time. Folks, salvation costs us nothing. It costs Christ everything. And in some aspects, it's complicated as to what all Christ accomplished in his death. But it's also simple. It's also very simple. You want to know one of the clearest pictures of salvation, the clearest verses Isaiah 45, verse 22. This is the verse that pricked Charles Haddon Spurgeon's heart that brought him to salvation in Jesus Christ. Isaiah 45, verse 22 says, Look look unto me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. Look unto me. Just look. Just look. Not turn over a new leaf. Not obey the full length of the law perfectly. Not quit this and quit that and do this and don't do that. Just look. Just look. Look unto me and be ye saved. A person does not have to be an educated person to be able to look. Just look. You don't have to have 13 years of primary education, four years of undergrad, and then another four years of graduate school. Have enough letters after your last name that you ought to be a mailman in order to know how to look. Just look. Like the children of Israel in the wilderness, when they were under the judgment of God and God had, had allowed vipers to come and bite them and they die. They go to Moses, belly aching. Moses, go to God for us. Go to God on our behalf and get him to stop these vipers. So Moses goes to God and God tells Moses, fashion a, bra- fashion a serpent out of brass and put it in the middle of the camp on a pole, high up in the air. And that way, when people get bitten by those things, they can anywhere from anywhere in the camp, they can turn and look, and they look at that serpent of brass, and they'll be healed. They can look and live. Now, it was not that serpent of brass that brought about the healing. It was God healing them through their trust and their faith in Him that they could look and live. Look unto me, all ye, and be saved. Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. There is none else. And mankind is doing everything that it can.
to try not to die. And I mean, there's stuff that's going on now, folks, that you would think is just science fiction, it's comic book, it's stuff out of the movies, but you've got people that's trying to figure out how to transfer their consciousness into machines so that they can, so they can supposedly live forever and all of this other stuff. People are afraid to die. And all you got to do in order to not have to be afraid to die is look unto Christ. Just look. Look and live. Look and live. And a better healer than Moses, a better healer than that serpent of brass has come. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 3, verse 14. He said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And then he goes on to John chapter 12, verse 32. He says, and I, if I shall be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. That's a message to us. So you know what we're to do? Lift him up high. Lift him up high in the way that we live, in the way that we talk, in the way that we walk. You and I are to lift the Lord Jesus Christ as high as we possibly can. And he will draw. That look by faith says that I'm repenting of my sin. I'm trusting in Christ. I'm trusting in who he is. I'm trusting in what he has done to cleanse me of my sin and make me right with the Father and purchase my eternal salvation. Christ did all the work. All that a person has to do is just look. Look to Christ and live. But yet people are spiritually blinded. People are spiritually blinded and they cannot See God. And while Jesus walked the earth in his ministry, many, many people could not understand the things that he said. They couldn't, they didn't appreciate the things that he did. I want to read you one more passage. John chapter 12. I want to go to John chapter 12 and I want to read some highlights of it. John chapter 12. I want to begin reading verse 27. It says, now my soul is troubled. This is Jesus talking. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause I come, I came I unto this hour. The humanity of Christ was upset. The humanity of Christ was not wanting to go through with it. Kind of similar to what, the, what he prayed in the garden. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. If there's anything else we can do, if we can call an audible, if we can come up with another plan, if we can do something else. But nevertheless, he said, not my will, but your will be done. In verse 28, he says, Father, glorify thy name. And then listen to this. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. That's the father talking. In verse 29 of John 12, listen to this. The people, therefore, that stood by heard it and said that it thundered. And others said, an angel spake to him. It was people there. It was people there visibly seeing the sinless Son of God, hearing the voice of God from the sky, and yet they couldn't understand it. They could not comprehend it. Oh, thundering. Must be coming up cloud. Oh, that must have just been an, an angel. They wouldn't believe it was right there in their face because no man can see God, especially through the veil of sin, especially through the veil of sin. 
Verse 35 of John 12, Jesus says, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knows not where he goes. Knows not where he goes. We look at that lost and that dying world and nothing that it does makes sense anymore. It makes less sense now than it has in any of my 38 years. Nothing that it does makes sense. The laws that it passed, the things that it glorifies as entertainment, the things that it calls good, it does not make sense because it is in darkness. In verse 37 of John 12, but though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. Right there in their face. Right there in their face. And they have the sinless son of God. And yet they cannot see God. And God is light. We've talked about that. We've talked about that. God is light and in him is no darkness. Pure, undefiled, holy light and sin is darkness. And that's why the process of regeneration is referred to as going from darkness into light. First Peter chapter two, verse nine says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So no one can see God because God is spirit and no one can see God because we are separated by sin. But first John four tells us that there is a way. There is a way on this earth that people can see God. Look what it says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 12. For it says, no man hath seen God at any time. If, there's that sm the smallest word in the English language, but the most powerful. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us. What does that mean? It means that you and I represent, we show, we display God to the world by our actions. God is displayed to this sinful world in the way his church loves. The world can, can see him in the way that you and I love. Christians are supposed to be, I've said, we've said this many times, Christians are to be the most loving people in the world. It is to be a special kind of love that God intends for us to have. It's a love that is obedient to Him. It is a love that attempts with all that we have to mirror His love. I brought these out to you before and we'll bring them out to you again. Luke chapter 10, verse 27. The Lord Jesus says, You shall love your Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God is to be first and foremost. And our view of God should be so high. It should be so high in how we view Christ. Our love for him should be so high. It should exceed, far exceed the love that we have for anyone else. As the scripture says, as the Lord Jesus says himself, our love for Christ should be so great that it makes our love for anyone else look like hatred. Not saying that we hate those people or we hate anyone at all, but we love him far more than anything or anyone else. And when we do, our love for others is going to be made right. It's going to be in the proper context. It's going to be in the proper way that, it, that God would desire us to love. 
Look back up in verse 10. I got, I've got to go back to it. Herein is love, not that we loved God. And then verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. Because God's love for us is unmerited, that should be the fuel in our tank that never burns out. That should be our driving force because God first loved us because he loved us when we were unlovable. Still loves us at times when we get in the flesh and not and are unlovable. God loved us and he loved us so much that he sent Christ to die for us, that he picked us up out of our miry cesspool of sin, sat us on the solid rock, prepared a place for us that awaits us when we leave this world and gives us the privilege of serving him while we are here. He loved us first. That should be what drives the car. That should be what fuels the tank. We should never, ever have to refuel. Love him better. Love him deeper. But his love for us should be what drives us. Secondly, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. We're to love our neighbor. We're to love the lost with the same common grace that God has who sends rain upon the just and the unjust. We are to love the lost with a sincere God-like kindness. If we had the opportunity to show love through merciful acts, do so. But we are to love our neighbor by telling them the truth. Look what it says in verse 15. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. We show God to the world by the way we talk. We show God to the world by the way we talk. Our talk, our speech, our, our, our voices should not match that of the world. It shouldn't sound like the world in any way, shape, form, or fashion. And we should love people enough to tell them the truth. God is a God of truth. And we put God on display when we tell the truth. I can't stand if somebody tell me a lie. I can't stand for somebody to whitewash something. I can't stand for somebody to just kind of beat around the bush. I want it right down the pike. I want it right down. The, don't whitewash it. Don't dress it up. I want it. Give it to me straight. Tell the truth. We've talked about this a lot on Wednesday nights. When you get hung with a reputation that you can't be trusted, that you lie to somebody, what good are you then? When you have ruined your word, what good are you then? There was a time when there was no such thing as contracts that are this thick. It was with a handshake. A person's word was their bond that you could trust them. And now the, 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 there's people that, that, that I love, but I know when they tell me something, I'm just going to have to wait and see what, what they do. Can't take them at face value. That's not how we love the world. That's not how we show love to the world. We need to show love to the world by telling them the truth and having those difficult conversations if, ne if need be. Love our neighbor as ourselves. I don't want to go to hell. I don't. I don't want to go to hell. So if I don't want to go to hell and, I love, and I'm to love my neighbor as I love myself, I need to be obedient to Christ and warn them.
warn them that there is a hell to come, there's also a way that they don't have that they can keep from going there. So we're to love God, love our neighbor, and we're to also love the church. Love God, love neighbor, and love the church. This is how God sees us. I mean, this is how the world sees God, is how we love. How we love. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us. We are to love the church of the Lord Jesus Christ with the same agape love that he does. We're to try to with all of our earnest. We can't die for anyone's sins, but we can serve them with that agape heart. That heart that sees the fact that we're part of a much bigger picture than just ourselves. We're part of something much bigger than just our own households. You know, there's an old saying, us four and no more, right? I'll use my family's example, me, Jesse, Riley, Aubrey, us four and no more. Well, my family, all my family's saved, my household is saved, and we have all that we need, and so that's all that matters. No, it's not. God calls his church to something much, much, much higher John chapter 15, verse 12, the Lord Jesus says, this is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than one who lays his life down for his friends. We can't lay our our lives down for one another to save their souls. But we can put our needs above our, but we can put somebody else's needs above our own. You know, I don't really feel like calling that person to check on them. Doesn't matter how you feel. What does that person need? You know, I really don't feel like going and driving by their house and taking them a plate of food. Or I don't really feel like just going by and sticking my head in the door and asking, can I pray with them? But what have you ever thought about what they might need? You ever thought about what that other person may need, what they may need in their life? The Lord Jesus keeps on saying, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Are you a friend of Christ? You did not choose me, but I chose you. More fuel in the tank and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. What's the fruit that he's talking about bearing? Love. Love. Love his church. Love God and love his kids. We should be defined by our love. In Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23, the Apostle Paul tells us about the fruits of the Spirit. What's the first one? Love. Love. Love should be seen in who we are, what we say, and what we do. And there's another old saying that's kind of hokey, but it's true, that the only Christ that some people will see on this side of eternity is the Christ they see in you. That's so true. What picture are people getting when they look at you? What view of God are they getting when they hear you and I talk? Are we turning people away from God by the things that we say and do? Does our attitude, does our attitude make God repulsive to people? Or are we giving off a false view of God by the way that we embrace and buddy up to sin? Do we laugh at the nasty joke? 
Do we tell the nasty joke? Do we huddle around the phone and look at ungodly, inappropriate stuff? Do we gossip to the hills? Do we condone sin? When people look at us, are they seeing the real deal? What do people see in you? Who do people see in you? Point number two. We've seen what we show, now what we know. What we show, what we know. Look what it says, verses 13 and 14. It says, Hereby we know that we dwell in Him and He in us because He hath given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in Him and He in God. And we have known and believed the love of, that God has to us. God is love and He that dwelleth in God. And He that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in Him. What we know is going to impact what we show. What we know is going to impact what we show. Now these verses here are verses of assurance. The key theme of this epistle is assurance. And so I want us to pull out two words there. We've talked about them in previous sermons. The word know and the word dwell. You might have it in your translation as abide. Know and abide and dwell. Verse 13 says, we know that we belong to Christ because he has given us his spirit. Verse 16 says, we know that we have, we, we have come to know the love which God has in us. Know is in 1 John some 40 times. And know means to be deeply convinced of a truth. So the Lord wants those who know him as Savior to know him and to be deeply convinced of the truth that they have right here and now eternal life because he paid their sin debt in his perfect life and perfect sacrifice and glorious resurrection. Christ wants his church to know as best as we can on this side of eternity the love that he has for us. Now look at that word abide and, or, or dwell as it says in the King James. Verse 12 says, if we love one another, God dwelleth in us and his love's perfected in us. Hereby we know that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us his spirit. Dwell, abide, to, con to, uh, 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 to continuously dwell. The Holy Spirit of God abides, dwells, resides inside of the heart of each and every true child of God. I said this before, that the people of God have the third person of the Godhead inside of us. And now because of Christ's death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, and sending of the Holy Spirit, the temple of God is no longer a place. It's a people. Verse 12 says, if we love our brothers and sisters in Christ in the selfless, self-sacrificing agape way that God desires, then we display, we show to the world, and we say to the world that God is in us, God abides in us, God dwells in us, God lives in us. Verse 13, by the love that we give to the brethren... By the love that we give to our brothers and sisters and the love that our brothers and sisters give back to us, we know that God, the Holy Spirit, dwells in us and we in Him. Verse 15, whosoever confesses the, what the Bible says about the Lord Jesus Christ proves that they are in God and God is in them. John's repetitive in the lessons that he's given. 
He gives in this epistle uh, uh, repetition on, on these lessons because experience and repetition are some of the best teachers. So as we see, we see that again in verse 16, that the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in them. I want to ask you this. Does love define your life? Does it? Do people look at you and love? Christian love is the first thing that comes to their mind. Or are we some bitter, temperamental, just anything changes our emotion that we're not in, that, that more often than not, that we're shaken by things around us, that other people around us, that how they uh, act has a impl- great implication on us. When people look at us, do they see the love of Christ? The Christian has assurance in the love that they have for the church. If you have a love for the church, if you have a love for your brothers and sisters, you can be assured that you belong to Jesus. The Christian has comfort in that they can never say, a true Christian can never say, nobody loves them. We can never say, nobody loves me. God loves you so much that he sent Christ into the world to die for your sins. It's what verse 14 says, And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. So God loves us, and the church loves us. What about the person that says, I feel alone? What about the Christian that says, but I feel alone? Well, you have not because you ask not. We cannot meet needs that we don't know about. However, the church does need to be perceptive and aware and discerning about the needs of our brothers and sisters. We can be short-sighted. We can stick to our cliques and our clans and our us four and no more. And when we do, those of the fold that are not as important to us as they should be and need to feel the love of God by way of His church can be made to feel like the loneliest people on earth. You know, thinking about that in comparison to being lost and to being a a Christian, it hurts more as a believer. I can think back to my wild and young woolly days, not being called about the party <coughs> didn't hurt near as bad as walking into, a, walking into a group of Christians and feeling like you walked into a freezer. I can remember that in the, the journey that led me to come to meet Haywood and when God was calling me to preach, and I'm trying to figure it all out. God had already shut one door and opened another one. I mean, He had shut one door. I didn't know where the other one was was open at. He had closed it, and I knew that the, the, the path that I, the, that I thought that I was supposed to go on, God made it very, very clear. No, no, no. That's not what I have for you. And then as I began the odyssey of looking where to go, Jesse and I visited various churches. And some of those churches, I would leave there feeling worse than I did when I got there. 
And it wasn't because the man of God was standing behind the pulpit shucking the corn, tearing my toes up, making me see, making me realize that I needed to get sin out of my life and get things right with God. No, that wasn't it. It was because of the coldness of the people in the pews. To sit there among gobs of people, but yet people not even act, act like you exist. That's not how the people of God are to be. The love, the warmth should just overcome people when they come into the presence of the people of God. And I know, you know, I'm, I'm not one that, that, that talks a lot about feelings. I'm not big on feelings. I almost have to, when I hear people talk about feelings in regard to spiritual things, I almost have to put my hands like this to keep my eyes from rolling out of my head. Our feelings can betray us. Our feelings don't trump Scripture. God designed His church to be His instrument of love on this earth. No man has seen God at any time, but they can see Him in the way that He loves His church and they can feel His love in the way that His church loves. God's love on this earth is revealed in His church. And we can experience His love by the way we love our brothers and sisters and the way our brothers and sisters Love us. When we do, we display the love of God to the world. So I want to close by asking you, what are you showing to the world? What are you putting on display to the world? Who do people see when they look at you? What message are you displaying when people look at you? Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank You for Your Word. God, we pray that we would be mindful that no, no man has seen God in your fullness on this earth. And help us to be mindful that we carry a great responsibility that we will show you, display you to the world in the way that we love. God, we won't always get it right. But God, help us to, to lean, yield to the Spirit of God, to listen to Him so that we have hearts that do desire to love the way that You have loved us through Christ. Because the way that we do that is going to be the soothing balm to our brothers and sisters and how they get through this fallen and sin-cursed world. And the way that we do Love, may He just be the very catalyst that brings somebody to faith in Jesus Christ. All these things we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.